Propaniacs. Welcome to Propaniacs, King of the Hill commentary with a hug. This episode is brought to you by H. Dumpty's, plus size clothes at standard size prices. Today I want to thank all of you loyal listeners for sticking around with us instead of giving your business to one of those discount King of the Hill podcasts. Because today we learn just what happens when big box retail pushes Hank too far. In the season two finale, Propane Boom. Part 1. I'm your host, Melton McMainerberry, and allow me to offer you a shopping cart and a complimentary Chuck Mangione concert poster for coming today. This episode starts with a cold open, which takes place at Megalo Mart. It's an immediate throwback to the pilot and Hank's frustrating conversation with a clueless Buckley about the location of the Megalo Mart hardware department. As Hank encounters multiple Megalomart uniformed teenagers with no idea where the batteries are stocked. And this is certainly the episode's theme, introduced right away. Hank versus Big Box Retail. Hank says it out loud in this scene. I hate this place. Big Box Retail is going to become more than an annoyance for Hank soon enough in this episode. But for right now, the man just wants some Megalo batteries. So we get through the opening credits. We are at the front door of the Hill's house. And the scene with Buckley and Luann. Buckley's response to Luann here is great, hearkening back to my favorite Buckley line regarding the chocolates he brought over in Luann's saga. No, they're for me for later. Because Luann is easily undervalued and taken advantage of. Daisy and I talked about that in Leanne's saga. Something about her personality does make her an easy victim on that front. It doesn't excuse Buckley's selfishness and abuse, obviously, but it makes for some really funny lines like... All I have is $400 when the win asked for three, which Buckley had already earmarked for a better trampoline, by the way. And uh, hang on to that trampoline thing. We'll, we'll see that again. The next scene is in the living room, and Peggy and Hank are shielding Bobby from a commercial about feminine hygiene. By once again having him well within earshot through the doorless doorway between the living room and the kitchen. I mean, the TV is right beside the doorway. Bobby is closer to it than Hank and Peggy are. But they do this a lot. We saw this in last season's finale, Plastic White Female. And it showed up again in, I believe it was Husky Bobby. There's something there about Hank and Peggy's lack of respect for Bobby and his perception. Maybe something larger about their actual inability to keep him away from things they don't want him to experience versus how simple and easy they evidently think it is to do that. But that's not what this episode is about. It's about Megalomar and Chuck Mangione, which Peggy gloriously pronounces Mangione, shows up on the TV to remind us of that fact. And Chuck raises the episode's stakes in a major way in an instant, as he makes Hank aware that the unthinkable has happened. Big box retail has invaded the sacred ground of propane, and Hank's job is now on the line. But it really feels like more than that even. If Hank can't count on propane, what can he count on? We saw this in Snow Job. As soon as Hank's glass shattered about Buck Strickland, he went off the deep end. And here, if Megalomart can grab this big a part of his life so easily and so callously, maybe his whole life and his whole significance is a house of cards. The next scene is a chaotic Strickland propane, and I guess Hank's confidence in Buck has been restored since Snow Job because he certainly expects Buck to have a plan that will solve the problem and save everyone's jobs. But Buck's service with a hug plan doesn't exactly meet those expectations, and everyone kind of realizes there is a very legitimate danger here because not even Buck Strickland has a viable answer. Because they do try it, and as we see with the example customer this scene shows us, It doesn't work at all. (laughs) It turns out customers care a lot more about the price of the commodity they're buying than they do about being embraced by the person selling it to them. Back over at Megalomart, and this catastrophe for Hank turns into humiliation. 
is who does he learn manages the Megalomart propane department? You guessed it, Luann's dim-witted boyfriend, Buckley. And again, the issue here is that Hank is seeing evidence that his job wasn't difficult, his service wasn't valuable, and the reputation and experience he thought he was building over 15 years is irrelevant. The next scene is in the Gribble's yard. We mentioned this in the last episode, how if Hank can't find support anywhere else, he can at least count on finding it with the guys in the alley. It may not be much, but it's better than nothing. But even that glass shatters when Hank discovers that Dale is buying Megalomart propane. So in scene after scene in this first act, we are seeing Hank's world and his support structure collapse. This ain't going to be pretty, Propaniacs. And this is when the music really starts to play a big role in this episode, something that's atypical of King of the Hill. This episode features a lot of ominous music in the score, much more like a movie score than the the little acoustic guitar vignettes that typically pepper King of the Hill episodes. It's quite effective, as that foreboding tension will keep building throughout the rest of this episode. The next scene is Hank and Peggy in the bedroom, in the bed, in fact, and Hank's problems are grounded a bit, as Peggy doesn't really even seem to have them on her radar. She's busy working on the class seating chart, and she's shocked to discover that Hank isn't paying attention to her typical out loud working out of this problem. And Luann's problems also help keep an otherwise bigger episode small, as paying someone $300 seems as insurmountable for Luann as beating Megalomart does for Hank. Back at Strickland Propane, and in Buck's office, Hank is making his case for his plan, to Buck, and this is the way the world ends. Not with a bang, but with a whimper, as Hank is unceremoniously relieved of his duties as assistant manager of Strickland Propane. And Joe Jack's pathetic advice to turn your shirt into a basket for office supply pilfering feels like the final nail in Hank's coffin. It's nighttime now in the Megalomart parking lot, and the ominous music, the dark skies, the empty parking lot is just such a great atmosphere in this episode as Hank throws those batteries back at the evil Megalomart. The next scene is in the Hill's Kitchen. I like how Bobby says the tissues weren't from Megalomart when it says Megalo tissues on the box. <laughs> I'm not sure what to make of that, honestly. Maybe, maybe maybe Bobby just isn't taking the issue seriously. Until Peggy says they'll have to eat carrots for dessert. It just got real, Bobby. And you get this whole role reversal that neither Hank nor Peggy is comfortable with as she is going into disaster mode, working out a practical plan or something like that for their survival and trying to encourage Hank. But her encouragement just sounds like patronization to a pathetic Hank who is emptying Megalo catsup into the sink. A few scenes later, we're in the alley and Hank's talking about things with the guys. Bill underscores that role reversal that we saw in the kitchen when he utters the memorable line, you got yourself a good man there, Hank. A phrase so fraught that I am not going to touch it. And neither is Bill, apparently, because he disappears, or at least he tries to immediately upon saying it. Poor Bill. Back in the kitchen, Luann's easy propane test forces Hank to face the truth that being a propane salesperson is kind of not that big of a deal. Short of losing his family, I'm not sure that there's anything that could be more devastating to Hank Hill than this truth. His identity is completely wrapped up in propane, so this is a real gut shot. So has Hank hit rock bottom yet? This is way worse than having constipation and having everyone know about it. The next scene is in the living room, and a slouching Hank is watching daytime television in his bathrobe. He seems to have lost not just his job, not just his identity, but his very will 
to keep going. By the way, another mention of Velma Throckmorton. That's three this season, and that is a great King of the Hill name. Peggy has really stepped up to the plate here. Hat tip to Peggy for picking up Hank's slack, and to my ear, being genuinely encouraging to him. Her Yoda-esque, don't be a try-baby, be a do-baby line may sound harsh, but also may be the kick in the pants that he needs at this moment. I mean, at least we can say that Hank wouldn't have hesitated to use that line on anyone in his, as she calls it, situation. So, turnabout is fair play, right? And finally, the Megalomart propane commercial in this scene, giving all we've said, surely that's rock bottom for Hank, right? The next scene is at Megalomart, and we find that Hank has sold his soul to the devil in order to make ends meet. It has taken a job, now this is rock bottom, has taken a job working for Buckley, selling propane at the Megalomart. I guess at least it isn't butane. That would be rock bottom. I'm reminded of the company man how Hank finally gave up his integrity in that episode when he realized he was competing against Fatherton Fuels for the sale. And at the end of that episode, he came to his senses, if you will, and basically told Mr. Holloway to go pound sand. Here he is maybe doing something similar. Not that there's anything wrong with working at big box retail per se, but given everything he's said and done about Megalomart up to this point in the episode, this is certainly an integrity breach for Hank, if nothing else. And he seems unapologetic, even as he sees that his actions directly hurt Luann. So I guess we're just left to say that Hank was that desperate, but this is tough to watch. And here we go. In the next scene, it's Hank's first day on the job, and humiliation reigns. As Hank is made to wear a trainee tag, he's taking orders from Buckley, he has to endure silly teenage antics, etc., etc. This is going to be a tough gig for Hank Hill. Back at home, at the dining room table, I guess Hank is back in the workforce, so this is obviously a dining room table moment. Huh. Have I been overcomplicating this whole dining room thing all along? Is it just that they always eat dinner in the dining room and at no other time? That seems so simple and obvious. But somehow I think that's not it. Okay, I don't know. I'm feeling as foolish as Hank and the Megalomart propane department all of a sudden. Let's keep our eye on this, and maybe it turns out that the mystery of the dining room isn't much of a mystery. I don't know. We'll see what happens in uh, season three. But today, in Season two, Bobby's challenge to Hank's integrity at the dining room table annoys Hank. But, and this is again similar to the company man, Bobby is hitting the nail pretty well on the head. And maybe this calling out of Hank's integrity is the first step toward where Hank ends up memorably going in this episode. So with that, we go back to the Megalomart. We're with Hank and two kindred spirits in the sporting goods department. Mark Majemsey, who is a great King of the Hill name, by the way, and none other than Layaway Ray, who I still think may be Earl the Guitar Guy. Anyway, I guess Ray served the arson sentence that the lady from Where in the World is Carmen San Diego handed down to him in Jumping Crack Bass because he's a free man or something like that at Megalomart. And that these three guys are enduring this general humiliation together, and maybe most importantly, that they together endure the specific humiliation of being reprimanded by a teenager for not wearing their trainee tags, seems to galvanize this co-conspirators club of disrespected and disgruntled Megalomart employees. So fast forward to the parking lot. A lot of the action in this episode takes place at night, with like a solitary light in the Megalomart parking lot illuminating Hank and whoever's with him. Lots of shadows on them. It's, it's great. You've got the visual darkness along with that ever-present dark and ominous score setting the atmosphere in this scene as a plan is hatched, and it feels less like you're watching King of the Hill and more like you're watching The X-Files. Not that there's anything wrong 
with that. Well, the next scene is the Chuck Mangione concert that the episode has been building toward. And something about those kazoos and the sign falling down, like the silence surrounding the sound of it or something, I've always found really effective. Even more than the darkness and the music, the way this concert starts feels truly eerie, like something bigger and mysterious is happening. Kudos to King of the Hill and director Gary McCarver for how perfectly this all works. But it's King of the Hill. So of course, there is some grounding inserted into this big moment with Bill's total misunderstanding of the Megalomart destroys small business sign. Also really appreciate that they keep it funny with Bill's comment, especially with Boomhauer's hilarious 911 call. That's the sort of thing that when you see it, you're like, oh, right. Of course, they'd have Boomhauer be the one to call 911. That's perfect. But at the same time, I just don't think I ever would have thought of that. You know, it's brilliant. And the scene really needed something to make it funny. And that's just what it needed. So the episode ends on this big cliffhanger with the Megalomart blowing up. Is Hank okay? Is Chuck Mangione okay? Luann Buckley will find out in season three. But for this season two finale... I have to give this a rating of nine goober smooches. This one had it all. I won't belabor it any more than I already have. This is an all-time classic, and probably the fact that it leaves us hanging at the end is the only reason I'm withholding the 10. What a great way to end season two. And fellow propaniacs, the Megalomart propane department may be out of commission now, but we certainly are not. Join me for the season three premiere and the resolution of this episode on our next episode of Propaniacs. Until then, you can write me at meltonmcmainerberry at gmail.com or find me on Instagram. And don't forget to check out my other podcast, Nashville Anthems, dissecting 80s and 90s country music. Bye.